Okay, so um, we're in a new series. We're going to start with the prayer. And uh, you are shortened to just an edge of a smidge. But if you don't mind, would you mind standing? We're going to pray this prayer together. If the awesome, mildly, slightly overstretched, doing a great job sound team, <laughs> vision team, we'll put it on board. We're going to pray this together. And it goes something like this. Lord, your word is alive and active. It's quick and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. It is truth and life, health and strength, undeniable and unbreakable, eternal and unchangeable. I boldly declare, I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Holy Spirit, you are my teacher and my guide. I declare that my mind is alert and my heart is receptive to what you want to say to me today. Renew my mind, my thoughts and attitude. Make me more and more like Jesus, my Lord. Father, let faith, hope and love arise in my heart as I hear your word. And as a result, May I leave this place today feeling stronger, bolder, and freer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, grab a seat as they say. So, I um, kicked off a new series last week, and I think the title in itself is a strong statement of intent. And that is, it is time to unpick the pandemic thief's pocket. You know, as we, as we said last week, though it affected everyone differently, we all lost things during COVID. Things that we had relied on historically changed overnight. Plans that we had ripe and ready had to be abandoned. Friendships we had lent on heavily had to go online. And it became very difficult to know what to believe and who to trust or where to turn. You know, the enemy is never supposed to win. And I, for one, hate it when he does. But without doubt, he has been extremely busy dare I say, quite effective during the pandemic. It's sad to say, I suspect he has had a few more wins than we'd like. Whether it was, was subtly or overtly, whether we realized it was happening or not, the pandemic thief has been trying to pick our pockets. Why? Because as, as John 10, verse 10 tells us, he's a thief. Stealing is, is what he does. Stealing is who he is. But the good news, as we said last week, is, is that while the thief is in the business of stealing and killing and destroying, God is in the business of restoring and repairing and redeeming John 10, 10, life. Abundant, overflowing, full, real, and free life. 
And that is, with that in mind, we called last week's message Resistance Day. And we said that it's time to put the enemy back in his place. It's time to take back the ground that he's stolen. To acknowledge that in Christ we have all the authority and therefore he has none. It's time to climb back onto the rock and claim everything that is rightfully ours in Christ. Amen. So I, I promised we'd look at that under four headings. And today, the first one, number one, is, is the question, who am I? And the question is, has, has the pandemic thief, has he stolen or, or challenged or, or maybe confused your identity, your self-worth, your, your sense of, of value? We're going to dive straight into that. I'm, I'm going to set it up like this, by saying that we all have an intrinsic sense of our own self-worth. We, we all have our own, our own scales for measuring our personal value. Dare I say everyone else's. We all have perceptions of our identity. Identity is the way we see ourselves. And all that is based on a, a self-derived set of factors and parameters. And the big question, as we'll see this morning, is where do we get that identity? And how or against what do we measure that worth and that value? because I'm going to be bold enough to say this morning that I think that for most of us, that view can tend to be pretty negative. So, so here's the scoop. Perhaps won't come as an enormous shock to you. The thief is after your identity. There's a great book I recommend by Robbie Dawkins called Identity you know, the thief is very skilled at attacking your self-worth and of undermining that sense of value. And the danger is, is that leaves you lacking in confidence, it leaves you insecure, and it leaves you stressed and unsettled. Now, this morning to help you with this, I'm going to introduce you to, to what I have called the worth-ometer. Okay, here is my worth-ometer. You'll notice there is a scale there from zero up to 100. You'll see that we have a green zone and an amber zone and a red zone. Okay, and 100 represents that place where you are utterly secure and confident and at peace. And zero right down the bottom when you start getting into the regions of that red zone. That, that represents where you're insecure, where, where you're, dare I say, devoid of confidence and where, where, you're, where you're stressed and you're unsettled. And the point is 
that we're all on this scale somewhere. Do you know what? I doubt that anybody's at 100%. I hope no one's at zero. We might find ourselves at different points on that scale over the course of a single day. It may be that a, that a setback or a triumph will yank us up or down a point or two. So I wonder, where are you on that scale? I'll ask another question. Guess at which end the enemy wants you to be. Why? Because he thrives on insecurity. And he thrives on doubt and fear and anxiety and stress. Do you know what? He knows that when you are secure and confident at peace, he knows that you are a tremendous threat to his purposes. When you truly are standing on the promises of God, when your mind is, is renewed and steadfast, when you're open and attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, when you're fully aware of your authority in Christ and his, to the enemy, you are dangerous. And so he is desperate to keep you from that place, and he does so by attacking your worth and your value and your identity. Okay, so with, with, with the, the magic worthometer still in mind, what are the kinds of things that, that move people up and down what is, I think, a sliding scale? Is it, is it affirmation versus defamation? Is it your own take on success or failure? Is it acceptance or, or perceived rejection? Is it the result of your own self-analysis, which may or may not include a little bit of distortional thinking? I preached on that through the pandemic. This one's a little sinister. Could it be other people's success makes you feel worse and other people's failure makes you feel better? Could, could it be... Every truth that you affirm moves you up. And every lie that you let in slides you down. Could it be what is in ascendancy in your thinking at any moment of time? Your, your problems or God's promises? And those are some of the general factors that move us up and down that scale. What about you? I wonder what contributes to your sense of self-worth at any moment on any given day. Do you know? We're going to dig a little deeper into this before we come to the resistance. Let, let me ask this question. In what sort of things do we tend to root our identity? Who, who do you see when you look in the mirror, slide Steve, here we go, there we go. Who do you see when you look in the mirror? 
Why do you think about yourself the way you do? What is it about you that causes you to measure yourself favorably or negatively? I'm going to propose that the following factors tend to be at the root of our sense of identity. Is it A, is it our jobs? Is our sense of identity and self-worth rooted in what we do rather than who we are? B, is it, is it our, our position, our, our status, our popularity? Is our sense of identity or worth rooted in what we perceive others think about what we do or who are. Number C, is it, is it our wealth or, or our salary or our bank balance or our financial status? I wonder, does this, does this con contribute to whether we see ourselves as a success or a failure? Or we see ourselves as on the inside or on the outside or, or whether it breeds confidence or anxiety? D, it is our sense of worth and identity rooted in our marital or family status. I'm a mum. I've heard yourself saying that. Who are you? I'm a mum. I'm Ollie's dad. I am. I'm adopted. I'm divorced. Is that right at the core of your identity? Uh, letter E, is it your calling and your ministry? How impressive do I look and feel in my church community? And again, when all that stuff's going well, do you see yourself, feel yourself sliding up the worthometer? Or possibly sliding down? Is it F, is it past achievements we hang on to? Or is it G, past failures? that we allow to define us? Do shame and regret dominate, or, or dare I say sabotage, that, that sense of worth or value? See, here, here are some of the dangers. If your identity is rooted in your job or your function or, or your purpose, then it tends to be vulnerable to performance and my worth or my value diminishes if I start to perform at a lower level or, or if I think I am or if my critics say that I am. If your worth, your value, your identity is rooted in, in human relationships, you put yourself at the mercy of any disagreement or, or disapproval or any perceived rejection. If your identity is rooted in a loss or a lack or in your emotional state, then it tends to be susceptible to fear and to anxiety and, frankly, to the whim of your circumstances. And, of course, the problem is that most of that is transient. It's temporary. It's fickle. 
Some of it is, is material. Some of it is emotional. Some of it is, is circumstantial. The trouble is the enemy can unsettle any of those in a heartbeat. And so the question becomes, what happens when it's taken away? If the rug is swept out from under our feet, are we still on solid ground? By one of the, the most powerful lines I think that Paul ever wrote, Philippians 4 verse 11, he said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, the pandemic, as we know, turned so many things upside down. We used to be socially active. We used to be popular, in, in demand. We used to be busy and active in our jobs. You know, I got up in the morning and I was a teacher or a plumber or an engineer or an office clerk, whatever it was. We used to be busy and active in our church lives. We were purposeful. We were, we were respected. We were needed. And all of a sudden, almost overnight, that changed. It was turned upside down. Significant part of our assumed identity was stripped away. You see, if you're a people person and everything is relational, if that vanishes, you're understandably a little bit lost. If you're a doer, if you're a practical person, if you're results-driven, if you love process or solving problems and you can no longer th get things done, you understandably feel a little bit lost. If you're a salesperson and your gratification comes from being successful, comes from the thrill of the chase, without that, a huge part of your identity We're getting to the, the crux now. Remember Jesus' very well-known parable about the man who built his house on the rock and the man who built his house on the sand. If what you had, I'm looking back into the pandemic, if what you had and if who you were and if what you did was built on rock, you're fine. You know, the storm came and it came and the winds blew and it blew and the rain lashed down. Your house stayed upright. If not, then, then that house probably became a little bit wobbly. It probably didn't collapse completely, but maybe the foundation started to crack. Maybe one or two of the walls fell down. Maybe the ceiling developed some leaks. And as a result, you were left with, with, with a lot of questions. You were lost with, with some new fears and anxieties perhaps you hadn't experienced before. And you're left with some inner frustration and probably some disappointment. You see, all that comes down to whether your identity 
or your value or your self-worth is built on rock or whether it's built on sand. With a great cheesy grin on my face, I say we are all living day by day right in the middle of that conundrum. Okay, as, as we said last week, today is Resistance Day. And I don't know about you, but, but for me, it starts when I can see it. It's the power of revelation. It's that, it's that aha moment. Now I can see what the enemy's been up to. Now I see what he's stolen. Now I can see the wood from the trees. I can discern the rock from the sand. Which means hopefully now we can all see the issue at hand here. Which is that our identity, our self-worth, our sense of personal value can, if we're not careful, be rooted in temporary and worldly and circumstantial things. And if it is, we need to go right back to the core of the gospel. We need to go back to the victory that Jesus won on the cross. We need to go back to what he liberated when he rose from the grave. We need to go back to the power of the blood and the strength of our covenant. We need to go back to the promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ. In other words, we need to go back to who we are in Christ. And Joel, it's my pleasure to remind you of that this morning. You know, it's time to load up the big cannon. And this is the moment where you see the enemy kind of starting to slink out of the back door with his tail between his legs. Because I'm going to tell you who you are in Christ. Humor me for a second. I want you to nudge the person next to you and I want you to say, see this? This is who I am. This is who I am. Okay. Uh, this is who you are in Christ. I'm going to base this on three passages, 2 Corinthians 5, Ephesians 1, and Romans 8, and dot around a bit too. Here we go. So in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, you are a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I had to go New King James for this one. You are, verse 21, you are, you are, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Righteousness, the definition is, is a position of right standing with God without guilt and shame, actually as though sin never even existed. That is how God sees you. Is that how you See you? Verse 20, you are, I am, an ambassador for Christ, which means you represent heaven here on earth. Okay, we're warming up. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 tells us that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4 says that we were chosen in him 
before the foundation of the world. Second half of that verse tells us that we are holy and blameless before him. Verse 5 says that we have been adopted as sons and daughters into his family. Verse 6 tells us that we are accepted in the beloved. I don't know where you go. I don't know what you do. But when you come to the Lord, you are accepted. Verse 7, you are redeemed by his blood with your sins forgiven and forgotten. Psalm 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions from you. Isaiah 1 verse 18, though your sins were as scarlet, now they are white as snow. This is who you are, folks. Romans 8, Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You are free from condemnation. Verses 15 and 16 say, You are no longer a slave to fear. Rather, you're a child of God. You're not a slave. You're not enslaved. You're not a captive. That fear has got no legal right to grab hold of you and hassle you. You're a child of God. Goes on to say in verse 17 that we are heirs of God. In fact, we are co-heirs with Christ. Wow. And then verse 37, as we saw last week, in all these things, we are therefore more than conquerors. A few more. Philippians 3 verse 20 tells us that we are citizens of heaven. Ephesians 2 verse 6 says that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. Verse 10 tells us that we are God's workmanship. Verse 13 says that though we were once far away, now we have been brought near by the blood. Jesus said, Matthew 5 13, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. John 15, verse 5, you are branches on his vine and he is the vine. But Peter said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Now, folks, that is your identity. That is who you are. That is what you are worth. That makes clear your value to God. And the beauty is that none of those things are affected if you have a bad day. Or if someone else undermines you or or attempts to belittle you. Or or you find yourself in in the middle of a crisis. A global pandemic. And, And if that is who you are... That also informs who you are not. You are not where you live. That's not your identity. Folks, that's your address. You are not what you do. That is not your identity. That's your job. You are not your past. It's not your identity. That's your history, which is under the blood. You are not what you look like. That's not your identity. That's just your appearance. You are not what you own. That is not who you are. 
It's simply what you have. You see, the enemy would want you to believe that you are a miserable, unworthy sinner. The enemy would want you to believe that you are unloved and unwanted. The enemy would want you to believe that you are cursed and judged. That that you are a persistent and inevitable failure. He wants you to believe that you are rightfully carrying a heavy and deserved load of guilt and shame. It's almost laughable saying it. The enemy would want you to believe that you are subject to and victim of and powerless to overcome your circumstances. That's what he wants you to believe. Church, don't believe him. Don't listen to him. He is a liar. He is trying to steal your identity. He's trying to deny what you are worth to God. He's trying to trick you out of your value. What did Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. My brother says every now and again, you need to have a get thee behind me, Satan moment. This might be a get thee behind thee, Satan moment for you. See, the good news is this is the power of the gospel. This is what distinguishes it from every and any other religion. You are Who you are in Christ depends 0% on you and 100% on Jesus. You are who you are, not because of what you may have done or what you may not have done, but because of what he has done. You see, that is why God is able to say to you things like this, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. It doesn't depend on you, it depends on Jesus. Why he can say, never will I leave you nor forsake you. He doesn't even leave you if you have a bad day. That's why God can say, if God be for you, who can be against you? That's why he can say, Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, Steve, and let's go back to our worth There it is. Have you missed that? I have. Let's ask these questions. How does that change once you realize that your identity is in Christ and in Christ alone? How does it change when, when you learn to measure your worth through his eyes, rather than just your own, and certainly not through other people's. How does your position on that worth to change when, when, your, when your sense of value changes to, to his values, his eternal and gospel, and dare I say, very different values? Let's ask this. What... What if a change in your circumstances no longer jeopardizes your emotional well-being? Does that change your life? What if you are able to, to recognize and disqualify the enemy's lies at source? What if, as Richard Kipling says, you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same? What if being secure in Christ means you are no longer insecure with everyone? 
response time. If I could ask the worship team to decide on that, that would be great. Very, very simple response today. Two things I'm going to suggest. Number one is, question for you personally, how does the enemy usually attack your identity, your sense of self-worth? You know, that may have stirred a few things as I was going through those lists earlier. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been whispering in your ears with his hand lovingly upon your shoulder. But I'd encourage you today to ask the Lord, let's get to the root of this. How is it that the enemy usually, dare I say possibly successfully, attacks that identity and that self-worth? Ask him where that vulnerability came from. And then go and see the prayer ministry team at the back and let them pray for you. That's response number one. And then response number two is, is pick one of those you are statements. One of those who you are in Christ statements. Just one. One of those statements that truly define who you are. Just one. What I want you to do is I want you to meditate on it all week, just one, just run it through, just, just look up all the scriptures around it and just dig it really, really deep until you start to believe it.